Alright, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash ringslore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash ringslore, expressvpn.com slash ringslore to learn more. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. All right. Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. And this week I'm doing things a little bit differently. You notice there was no intro music, nothing going on. I'm actually taking this week off for some personal time, some stuff going on, taking a little bit of a vacation here. But I didn't want to leave everybody hanging without something to listen to. So I've decided to let everybody in on one of the secret bonus episodes that's usually kept just for our patrons. This episode, specifically, I thought would be a lot of fun to share with you guys, as it gives uh, a little bit more insight into some of the topics and things that we cover in the bonus episodes. Um, Like I've described previously, the main episodes of the show keep mostly to the events in the actual timeline, like the in-world events with a little bit of speculating, a little bit of uh, stuff that the kind of meta commentary kind of stuff. The bonus episodes, we cover all sorts of stuff. So this episode right here is called Valar vs. Mythology and the Importance of Grief. And this comes from, this was actually the bonus episode for episode three. This one, we look at the differences between the way the Valar are set up in Tolkien's world and compare them to mythological deities in our own world, in the real world. And I talk a little bit about the similarities and differences there. And then specifically, 
I go into more detail about Niena because she is the most unique, I think, in um, when comparing the Valar to real world uh, mythological deities. Uh, and specifically because she has to do with grief and crying. She's known as the weeper. And Tolkien includes this for a very important reason. And you'll you'll hear more of that as we get into the episode. Also, during this beginning part, I need to shout out our VIP tier patrons, Isoteric Rage and Apollo. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you to all 21 of our patrons currently for your support. You guys helped to make this a full-time thing for me, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. If you are curious about these bonus episodes or getting more of this kind of extra kind of meta commentary content, um, answering questions from the community, going into some of my personal theories about things, things, you know, on the fringes and edges where we don't get a lot of detail, then go to patreon.com slash L-O-T-R lorecast. Check out the different things you get from the different tiers. There's lots of stuff there, guys, and I would really appreciate your support. Um, One last thing before we get into the episode. As I'm recording this right now, it is the beginning of July, and that means that we are two months away from the new Lord of the Rings series, uh, The Rings of Power on Amazon. And if you guys haven't been keeping up with this stuff, I don't talk about it a whole lot on these individual episodes. Um, I feel like I probably should start bringing it up a little bit more. We're going to transition into the timeline of the second age at some point in this show. And that's when that series takes place. So there's going to be some overlap. I will probably take some time to do uh, breakdowns of each of those episodes. It's never going to be the main focus of the show, but because it is something that can be discussed and directly relates to the lore of the world and the way that that show is going to handle the lore, it would be, it'll be something that comes up. So in the next few months, when that series comes out, get ready for some of those episodes, go watch it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. One of the things that they posted recently are pictures of the orcs from the series and they look amazing. They look so good. Very, very reminiscent of the ones from the movies, um, but with some really great, I don't know, prosthetics and uh, the clothes and the things they wear. It looks so good. Go check that stuff out. But I just wanted to, uh, to bring that up and mention that, you know, get ready next week. We've got a really cool episode coming up. We're talking about some new secret locations that the elves are working on and Melkor's uh, invention, I guess we'll say in order to get a leg up on a, or a wing up on uh, the war with the elves. We'll put it that way. All right. I'll see you guys uh, next week. And until then, enjoy this secret look at a bonus. Well, not so secret. Look at a bonus episode. Here you go. All right, welcome back, patrons. This is the uh, bonus episode for episode three, and I've got some thoughts about some more comparisons between the Valar and traditional 
mythological gods. Uh, just gone through the uh, all the different Vala, the, all of the Valar, and there are some very distinct differences between the, the like the, a, a typical pantheon of gods and what Tolkien includes with the Valar. And I, I wanted to point out some of the the big differences and specifically some of the things that are missing here. Um, and some of the things that are very, very much included that Tolkien includes among the Valar. And these are themes. So, for example, somebody like, um, let's just pick uh, Varda. Varda being the Star Queen. And let's go to the Greek gods. There is not actually a Greek god of the stars because the Greek gods do not include the Titans. Because the Greek gods ousted the Titans. The Titans came before the Greek gods. So if we're going to get to more fundamental concepts like the sun itself or the stars itself, we have to go to the Titans. So Astrius is the Greek god or the Greek Titan, we should say, of the stars of astrology (laughs) itself. Um, If we're going to talk about the sun and maybe light then we have to talk about Helios, who is, again, a titan. These concepts, the more fundamental concepts among the Greek gods, typically are tied to the titans. Time, light, those kinds of things. Um, and if we talk about things like time, there is no Vala that actually has a fundamental connection to time itself. Time itself is not discussed among the Vala. Um, or the Valar, uh, those things are not brought up at all. In Egyptian mythology, you have a a god of the sun, you know, Ra, um, but that we don't have a god of the sun in Tolkien. In fact, the sun itself isn't really a thing for a very, very long time. So the closest thing we have is is a... Varda and light, the light that comes from the stars. That's it. In fact, that's the only light the world has for a very long period of time. It's it's just this interesting difference between some of these mythologies. Um, some other differences are that um, I guess the, the most similar connection between any one of the gods. And we already talked previously about Manwe and a god like Zeus and how they're kind of similar, but they're kind of different. The one that's the most similar, I guess, would be somebody like Olmo and Poseidon, because they're both gods of the sea. Uh, but again, very different personalities. They're they're not really the same people, very different personalities. And really, the only connection there is the sea and being uh, unpredictable because the sea is unpredictable, but almost connection to mankind is very different than Poseidon's connection to mankind. Other than they're just, you know, lords of the water and they're unpredictable. Those seem to be the connections there. Right. Um, but again, Olmo is more fundamental than Poseidon is in my mind. Olmo is a fundamental connection to water itself. Whereas Poseidon is the Lord of the sea. He lords over the sea, whereas Olmo is the sea. It there's a fundamentalness to 
the Valar, which doesn't exist the same way in Greek mythology. Again, it's very, very different. I also think that there's a big difference here in the fact that Tolkien doesn't include a fertility goddess of any sort. And this is something that you see a lot in almost all world mythologies. Basically, every human um, pantheon or kind of early human mythology includes some sort of fertility ritual goddess something because it's so fundamental to our planting cycle to early agrarian culture that I mean we needed to have some way of creating a, a calendar cycle around planting and the harvest and then ensuring the harvest and of course there was some sort of need to make that a religious thing in order to try to ensure a good harvest and all of that stuff. Um, but Tolkien doesn't include that. There's, there's the connection with the idea of like, uh, I talked about, you know, the hunter and the, uh, the, you know, the growing of those kinds of things, right? Like, um, Arome and Vana, the, um, you know, the hunting of creatures and the flowering of plants and, and those kinds of things. Um, or Yavana, the fruit giver, the lady of the earth and the grower of those plants. But again, it's still not the same thing as a fertility goddess. It has to do with the creation of vegetation, but there's a fundamental difference. I don't believe that the peoples or the elves of middle earth worshiped Yavana in the same way that they did a fertility goddess. This uh, Yavana isn't seen as being um, big bellied and big breasted in the way that say, uh, human cultures would have worshiped and I idealized a fertility goddess around cycles of birth and harvest, those kinds of things. Again, it's more fundamental. It's, it's a different kind of representation. And I know that Tolkien would have been very aware of all of these differences. In fact, I would have expected that he would have expe <laughs> I would have expected that he would have expected that many people would have made these connections and analyzed each of these Valar and connected them to other mythological gods and compared and contrasted them because he was a scholar. He would have, in fact, probably had a had other people do it in his presence among his friends and the people that he was sharing these ideas with so let me tell you a little story you know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and yuffie who does these smart locks with video cameras in them reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2k camera a doorbell and a finger reader all the bells and whistles and i was like okay cool they sent it to me I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Eufy to begin with? Because this 
is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And in fact, he probably had them do it many times before the Silmarillion was put together by, um, you know, after his death. He probably had conversations around this. In fact, I haven't found any interviews with him about these specifically, um, each of each of these uh, Valar specifically. I'd love to hear his thoughts on each of these. But I, but I I would guess that this is intentional, that he specifically distanced each of these from any of the ones that he was aware of in our world, which is probably the majority of the westernized ones and many of the eastern ones by the middle of the 20th century that were well, you know, we were well aware of so that they did stand apart and were different in their own ways because he was creating his own mythology and yet we're still influenced and aware of the ones that already existed. But these were the spirits of the world. These were more fundamental for a reason. And as we get through the, uh, the Silmarillion, as we get through the writings, these powers recede and it's not that they are less active in the world so much as they are less forward in the stories. And I I think maybe that's the best way to think about it because the stories become focused on the, the children, the stories become focused on the elves, 
the most of these powers go and stay in Valinor and the powers themselves create the setting for the children in the later acts of the of the song to be the focus to be the focal point to be the main actors but it doesn't mean that they aren't still active and there's there's good examples of this so for example manway creates the eagles the eagles themselves are actors for manway and manway as we know is the most in line with the will of Iluvatar. So we have a direct line from the Iluvatar to the eagles themselves. And we know that the eagles themselves act not only in The Hobbit, but in The Lord of the Rings. In fact, in many of the stories, they are kind of the deus ex machina that show up toward the end of very specific moments to kind of swoop in and help out. I wonder why, <laughs> you know, like they're kind of the hand of God that reaches into the story to kind of be there when they need to be there. And yes, you can you can say from a story perspective that they owed Gandalf a favor or that the the party was able to prove themselves as not being something to eat or, you know, whatever. There, there are reasons for them acting in a non-animal way towards the party because they were intelligent creatures that were able to communicate and they hated the orcs. Like there's, there's lots of justifications for those things, but you can also see that they may have been doing and acting according to a will that was greater than the sum of the parts directly in the story, right? Uh, all of that stuff is there. There are there's definitely scenes of those things happening. Um, when you think about Olmo, you think about water, you think about the actions of water being tied to the will of helping the children of Iluvatar, right? You think of a scene like um, the uh, <laughs> the um, ring wraiths having a natural fear of water especially deep water. Why would the ring wraiths fear water? Well, maybe because Olmo dwells in the water and he doesn't necessarily like to stay in Valinor. Now that sounds like a really big dude. Who's just like floating around in the water somewhere out to get them. But the, when you think about it more as the will of Olmo is still in the waters and the waters are precarious. And also you think about somebody like Elrond and Elrond's home and the fact that the the magic or the will of the elves can also take shape in the water in order to protect the elves in places that the elves still have power and the connection to Olmo in that way, then there's still more going on in the world and the connection to the Valar in some places is stronger than in others. So you have that. You have that connection. Or uh, Lorien, named Lorien itself. And the idea that that realm of the, of the woods is still dreamlike and connected. And, and sure, you, you could have justification there about the, the rings of the elves still 
emit some power in those locations. And that might be why as well. Of course, of course, that could be part of the reason. Sure. But what about the tying and connection of the elves to the trees and the trees that are connected back to the the original two trees that came from Valinar and the fact that those trees are connected to those trees and a number of these connections that go back directly to the Valar and the Valar who were connected to those objects and those things that have come into Middle-earth that were connected back to Valinar and in many locations and in many ways you have these direct lines that descend into Middle-earth from the Valar and Tolkien likes to do this he likes to have these connective points of descent these descent of this descent of power and it not only happens in bloodlines and it clearly does with the Numenorians, with uh, elven bloodlines and there's this kind of diminishing return thing that he does where like power descends along a specific path and it becomes weaker as it goes but yet there's still a connection there there's still some power in that path. And it's definitely a theme. It's definitely part of it. So that makes me wonder. It makes me wonder how intentional some of those things are and how in maybe maybe intentionally detailed they are in more than just one way. That it might just be more than, well, Elrond has a ring and Galadriel has a ring and so therefore they have these abilities. It might be a little bit more than that. It might be the Valar are still active in the world in some ways, or at least the power of the Valar are active through the objects or themselves in the world. Who knows? And I think that's a fun thing about, about the way Tolkien writes this stuff is that it could be both. It could be either. It could be neither. Who knows? You don't really know because he leaves it open enough for us to wonder. And he answers some of these questions in interviews, but other times he just leaves them open and it makes it fun. So let's talk a little bit about, about Nienna, the weeper, the lady of grief and mercy. I think that there's something really interesting here. And I, and I talked about it during the episode as well. The fact that you have a Vala whose sole place in the Pantheon is, is weeping, is crying. And I remember reading this the first time I was a teenager when I first read the Silmarillion. I think I was probably 16 or 17. And I remember thinking this was a little bit odd. But by that, by that point, I had enough respect for Tolkien, even as a teenager, to think that, like, there must be a reason for this. The rest of these seem to have some significant reason, right? He's a very well-read guy. He's smart. He's got to have a reason for one of these to just be crying all the time. Like, <laughs> there's got to be some reason there, right? Um what what is the reason for this and taking that seriously at that time i think made me consider the importance of this and and it's more than just the fact that like sadness is important there's and i've talked about this a few times there's a beauty 
in sadness. And part of it is that it's this idea that you can't truly see one thing without the opposite. And I don't know how true that is. I think, and I'd love to hear some people's thoughts on, on the perspective that like without, without the dark, you never truly appreciate the light. I, I get that. And I think that that's a truly human perspective is that without one thing, you can't really appreciate the opposite thing. Okay. Maybe, maybe, I mean, I still think I could appreciate love without having like absolutely terrible things happen. Right. Like there's, there's definitely like, I don't need catastrophically terrible stuff to happen to appreciate love. You could just have the absence of love, right? Like I don't need mass murder to appreciate love. I could just have not love. There's variations on opposites, but in this world, in our world and in middle earth, there are terrible, terrible things that happen. Melkor and of course, eventually Morgoth. sows seeds of terrible atrocities. We find out that he corrupts the elves. He not only kills the elves, he corrupts them and tortures them into the orcs. Can you imagine being one of the children of Iluvatar? The chosen children of Iluvatar that the, the, the creator himself loves more than anything else so that he chooses to put you into his world, saves you to hand place into existence only for you to be plucked up by the worst of the things that that creator makes and to be tortured into a vile, vile thing that only knows pain and suffering, anger, malice, and hate. And then to die at the blade of one of your other children who only wants to kill you. That's it. That's your entire existence. And how is that fair at all? I mean, this is the problem of evil. And Tolkien is struggling with the problem of evil. Any... Any, and this is, I mean, we're talking personal here. This is a very personal thing from my perspective. Anybody who struggles with moral issues, whether you are religious or not, any human who has a moral compass needs to struggle with the problem of evil. And the problem of evil being, why is there evil in the world at all? And if you have a moral compass and you have a religious perspective and you have a perspective on God as being all knowing and all loving and all powerful, then that becomes a very difficult question. And Tolkien himself, being a Christian and a Catholic, probably struggled with this question. And his answer to the question in his own world is Niena. 
And this is a very theological, uh, theologically grounded answer to the question. And my background, and some of you guys know this already, is that I have a, I have a background in religious studies and in philosophy. I've studied deep thoughts in all sorts of different ways. And some theological thought, some theologians answer this question with God allows this due to free will and also God suffers with us. And so evil exists in the world because God allows it. He, he, he knows that it's going to happen and he suffers alongside us. And personally, I, I don't know how good of an answer that is, but it seems to be, whether I agree with that or not, that Tolkien seems to take that side, at least in his own mythology, with Nienna. This idea that one of the Valar is there to be with us when we suffer. And that she is the sister of Mandos. She is deeply connected to those who die in suffering and that she stays with them even after death. It's almost like she's there to help repair the damage. Like even after they die. So if they do live terrible lives of suffering, which is horrible, there is yet still some Redemption in the end through Nienna, who's able to be there with them. And maybe this is Tolkien's justification for that. And maybe this ties back to his Catholicism. Maybe this is his concept of heaven. Maybe, maybe he had some sort of personal justification. Like if you had a terrible life that Maybe in heaven, God makes it up to you or something. I, I don't know. I can't speak to that, but there might be a connection here, but it's interesting, right? Like it's interesting that this Vala has a connection here. It's also interesting that of the female Vala, that she is unwed. She is not tied down. She is wed, in a sense, to the children that she weeps for. They are her only care. They're her only spouse. And as a final note here, the halls of Nienna are at the western edge of Valinor. And they overlook the sea. And if you know anything about the geography, that means that they are the furthest away from Middle-earth, and they are the closest to Iluvatar. And I think there's some meaning there. So, just some more stuff to chew on. I hope you guys have enjoyed this bonus episode, and some deeper thoughts on some of these subjects. I'll be back next week. Please share your thoughts or posts in the comments of this episode in the Patreon. I'd love to hear any of your thoughts on any of these topics. And I'll see you guys next week. Have a great one. See you guys later.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.